0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Maltopia Podcast. For our oldest and most loyal listeners out there, we wanted to let you know about our new Patreon page. Outside of our careers and time spent with family, the three of us here at Maltopia have been working every night and weekend for the past five years, building our company into what it is today. With your help, our goal is to make Maltopia our livelihood allowing us to bring you higher quality content, exciting new podcast series, and published works, and a large central community for you to take part in. As a thank you for your support, we're offering exclusive perks and bonus content, like early access to podcast episodes, behind-the-scene creator videos, and more. Go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia today and explore our membership levels, and be sure to scroll through for free public content some of which gives you a sneak peek at what you can expect when you become a member. From Mark, Steve, and Walker, thanks again for enjoying our podcast, and we hope to meet you soon on Patreon.
4: The creature confronting Mars was beyond the ken of beasts, beyond even the nightmares still haunting his dreams from the night he lost his first team, the Harrowers. The thing's mouth was a wet cave of endless teeth, its eyes like red suns displaced from blackest space, holding the hunger of ravening devils within their depth. It was the size of an elephant, but sported the musculature of a bull not a shred of its skin left unstretched by the bulging muscles stirring below. Falling back in rows where its teeth became tusks were horns that played across its entire body, the most formidable examples thrusting out from the top of its massive head and spearing upwards from its humped shoulders. Most startling was its visible departure from the rest of the creatures, all of which, to this point, seemed to partake from distorted shapes of earthen beasts. This monster didn't contain so much as a whisper of the natural order of its many and varied inhabitants, rejecting all traditional principles of known biologics, whether they be of man or beast. And while there were analogues to the occasional animalistic shape, this creature would more likely hail from hell than either heaven or earth. Bobby was beside himself with excitement, drooling almost as much as the thing waiting to eat the prone Warbringer. This is a special one from below, older than the world and twice as hungry. When we smelled you approaching, they said we should give you to this one, to become a prodigy of the feast. You've no idea the honor you've been given, old pal the pleasure it brings me to feed you to it and listen to the screams
3: don't worry though after it's all over and done with we're all gonna be buddies again the hatchet good and buried and all the harrowers will be back together again for the first time you'll see what i mean you'll even thank us for it trust me
4: Before it advanced, the creature emitted a low growl akin to distant thunder tolling the approach of a storm. Mars studied the thing as it approached, its red eyes disappearing behind lids like shields of solid bone as it yawned its death trap of a mouth and lunged towards him. As the wicked cavity reached the apex of its ample jaws, Mars thrust his weapon into the thing's mouth. The brass hands closing an unshakable grip upon the top and bottom of its mouth, locking them at their widest point. He'd used the two harrowers' yammering to gather what power the warring spirit had left him, and now channeled it into his staff. The monster's jaw broke with a booming crack when the war hands grew by a foot on either end. The Warbringer had already snatched back his weapon from the thing's now slack maw and was swinging it at Bobby by the time slavering, hooked tentacles leapt from the monster's broken mouth. To do the work, its jaws could no longer perform. As the lead war hand palmed Bobby's head, the one in back gripped a knot of the larger monster's inbound tentacles. In one whirlwind motion, Mars locked the handle of the war hands under his arm and spun with all his might, tearing both creatures from their feet. The Warbringer's strength had already grown tremendously from the fight, which allowed him to both throw Bobby from his weapon's grip and topple the unearthly Titan onto the unsuspecting Charlene. Bobby smashed into the same hill that Mars previously collided with, and both the alien Thing and Charlene were temporarily prone. Mars wanted with all his heart to remain, to continue the fight, but what he spied beneath the renewed light of the moon forced him to make for Deadwitch with all the speed he could muster. Whether it was a hive or a city or a colossal combination of both, the sapien couldn't guess, but it was the single most monstrous structure this side of the Melengin itself. And like the machine, this thing was alive, an organic fluidity informing its movements as it crawled across the night, the earth ever so slightly shivering beneath its movement. In many ways, it resembled a vast armored caterpillar, save that it stretched on for a mile and its width brought it hundreds of feet above the tallest tree. Upon the thing sprawling back were piled what could only be described as dwellings. They seemed connected within a massive and elongated metropolis of caves and symmetrically arranged hives, all of them hewn from the swelling armored carapace of the crawling city. Given the size of the whole thing, it wasn't absurd to assume it hosts to millions of hungry abominations. And while it wasn't entirely visible, Mars thought he could make out legions of gigantic maws and pincers and stabbers projecting from where the head of the creature might lurk, where it carved wide channels into the forest. He presumed the extrusions and maws necessary for underground movement. How else could something so mammoth move about unseen, even through the most shunned countryside? Most worrying of all, it was heading east, towards Deadwitch. Antonia used the moment when the undead behemoth stalked towards the invaders to shrink backwards into the shadows. There was no telling how long before one of the newcomers made her for a stranger. Aunt Bertie stepped into the space the Oversapien abandoned, whispering,
3: Go, child, while things are afoot.
4: Antonia had already disclosed her entire story to the wizened woman, though she suspected Bertie might have somehow already known. As she crept through the blue-streaked shadows of the witch-haunted house, she detected something in her coat pocket as she slipped on the article. It was a small, folded note that read, The attack upon the lost kingdom will commence upon the night of the full moon. It was signed, Abraham Blumgart. Her heart leapt into her throat, the world rapidly changing for the news. Abandoning her people was possible when it seemed there was no hope. But here was hope incarnate, folded lengthwise in the very palm of her hand. The implication of the warning was far more than the time of attack. It suggested the machine was like any other enemy. It could be predicted, spied upon, perhaps even defeated. Why Abraham cared to help was a red flag, though. He hadn't left on the best of terms, having tried to usurp Angren for the role of leader. But perhaps even he had some lingering devotion to his own kind. More likely, the death of his own would not be to his advantage, and hence his willingness to assist. Either way, she couldn't afford to second-guess the news. The new moon was almost upon them. After glutting himself upon the occupants of the many houses lining the path he felt impelled to travel, Adrian led Grath into the densest underbrush and down the weaving, rutted throat of a cavern, whose opening beneath the thickets and toppled trees might never have been touched by sunlight. As the way expanded to the width of a riverbed, crouching shapes growled from black stony recesses they passed. The two former Oversapiens flashed saber teeth at their critics before moving along into the dark, drawn onward by an impulse as old as the stone that enclosed them. The route led the pair through a warren teeming with creatures of kindred construction, though perhaps without the terrible powers of the machine, the first monster to have digested them. At last, They stood before a portion of the cavern that was jagged with countless stalactites and stalagmites spearing the gloom. And sat back behind the jaws of the deep earth was a titanic abomination, reposed upon a bed of anthracite and onyx. Her voice was like the hiss of a snake, but held all the authority of a lion's roar.
3: Come closer, my children.
4: She bade them her voice slithering around the teeth of the cave. The two monsters did as commanded. Adrian could feel his queen's power upon his neck, as surely as a heavy boot. She rose from her immense bed as they bent low at the sight of her. The queen of monsters was an apostasy of wicked shapes, all of them like boiling black rivers.
1: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
4: ...joined to create Perdition's Burning Lake. Her great height scraped the sovereign's many alien and howling heads against the top of the vast chamber. The largest and central head, which possessed some semblance of a woman's features, leered downward, blazing its red gaze upon the prostrate beasts. Its writhing hair, vast tangles of eel and snake and tentacle, spilled and squirmed across the sides of the cavern. Having taken a closer look at her newest children, she withdrew entirely upwards, Her flowing gown of many skins, undulating with heaving breath and flexing sinew. From behind the great matron rose the pinions of a dragon, or a devil, framing her demonic immensity.
3: I am Batna, and it is only right that you should tremble before me, for I am both your mother and your god. And as such, you owe me both your life and your death.
4: The towering monstrosity tilted its heads, awaiting a response, should there be any. Adrian's mind had cohered over his many meals, his memory and identity returning alongside the beast he had become. While the hunger burning through his soul made short work of much of his thoughts, one question was spared the devouring. What have I become? He said, his head bowed in fear and respect. You
3: are hunting and killing and feeding incarnate. In your belly stirs the endless hunger, a pit that can never be filled creating the hunt that can never end. You are Carnivian.
4: Her words moved through the darkness like rolling thunder, telling the story of the storm that begot them all.
3: Your mind is still ripening, Puck. but in time you will feel what I have seen. Said and require no further wisdom on the matter. But you should know that we are brethren many times over, all of us having sprung from the loins of the mailing gene, all of us owing to the touch of the black god pent within But it is the maker of the machine that concerns us most. The Nasul, nursemaid and father to us all. And we hunger for our father's flesh, for revenge, for seeking the death of us, his greatest children. We have chased him through worlds of blood and death, our hot breath always whispering at his neck as he flees and flees and flees, flees, raising new monsters in his footprints to slow the hunt, Monsters, we only consume and add to our numbers. He is here now, upon this very world. He tasks us, and we will have him.
4: Castilian was never pleased to call upon scrym, but the flesh weaver would be an unfortunate necessity for the coming war. The battlefield would be littered with both dying Hanuma and Oversapian, and the creature's unique talents would be called upon to preserve both, though for entirely different purposes. No Hanuma could be suffered to die lightly, for their numbers were already dangerously low their one failing, the inability to reproduce as abundantly as the other perfected races. This fact was due perhaps to the intricacy of their finely wrought brains, a complexity that required more power than they were able to muster on their own, at least not without much time and preparation. The process had created the Hanuma as the only race that did not embellish their numbers through the mass consumption of other living things leaving them to the lackluster logics of traditional sexual reproduction and live birthing. And even then the much inferior process did not ensure the success of such pregnancies, stillbirths outnumbering births by a significant margin. For this reason, Scribe was required to weave its spirit entrapping webs, so as to preserve the soul of a dying Hanuma, until such time they could be healed, if they could be healed at all. The flesh weaver was very adept at repairing the body, even the construction of new bodies. But the particulars of the brain, let alone one as sophisticated as a Hanuma's, was all but lost on the hideous thing. For the process to obtain properly, its subjects had to be alive, or at the very least, possessed of a soul, even if in the crudest of configurations and conditions. Due to the circumstances that might bring a subject to the malproja, to be received of the process, the soul-preserving webs of the flesh-weaver were often a necessity. To be sure, the coming battle would fell many an oversapien, and not even one could be suffered to give up their ghost. Their only reason to exist at all was to inform the process with well-seasoned spirits. To allow such a thing would be to sully the fulfillment that was nothing short of a new perfected race. Scrime's domain was situated much lower in the earth than even Ratha, and so the great Hanuma was obliged to descend beyond the vaults of Nepenthia, into the lands of things that were no friend to his kind, the foul Beul, and even the mighty Tannin who abided within their own soaring subterranean metropolis. Gila Din. But conflict was often eschewed in favor of a begrudging tolerance, for war was often too great a price to pay for the occasional trespass. Still, Castellian kept to the outer ways beneath the earth, minding as best he could the borders of rival monsters. The Fleshweaver had staked out its territory beneath the overhang of a gigantic fallen pillar, some relic of a bygone race whose name was only recalled by the dust and ruin that survived it. Entering the abode of the creature, the approach to the central chamber was littered with Scryme's signature constructions, webs of flesh, all of them embroidered with sensory organs, musculature, and yawning maws that operated like spring traps. The Hanuma knew the secret path that navigated the maze of skin and sinew, and so carefully picked through the undulating underworld. He found the Fleshweaver busy at the unflashing of some great beast he'd netted, a thing caught between the absurdities of a bat and a worm, likely something from Unjigal, one of the smaller outposts of the filthy corpse-eaters, the Bayul. Scryme likely knew of Castilian's coming the very moment he crossed into the shadows of its lair.
5: Greetings, Hanuma.
4: Scryme lowered itself upon a cord of flexing skin and muscle to where the Hanuma stood.
5: Has the time come for the effort you spoke of? For I have prepared much weaving for the occasion. Indeed. It has. The night of the new moon is the chosen time. We will need your talents, your webs.
4: Castilian gazed about the chamber. The space was strung with the dismal finery of the alien spider. Constructs of the most bizarre design, hatched from a mind as inscrutable as any the Hanuma had known. Scryme was kith and kin to the Carnivian, and though no less a perfected race for the fact, the flesh weavers were an offshoot of the insatiable Devourers, a subspecies. Whence his master had summoned Scryme was still a mystery, even to him.
5: Come, I will show you what I have prepared.
4: Scrime led him through a colossal funnel-web, Myriads of sewn in eyes and mouths, peering and drooling as they traversed its length, the entire structure flinching at their footfalls. The tunnel became a boundless cavern, and everywhere the pit and patter of careful insectoid feet whispered across raw red webs. Hundreds of flesh-weavers moved in the darkness, each one identical to scryme. Naturally, they lack my power, but
5: I have more than enough to spare them when the time comes, and so nothing shall be left to chance. Not a single soul shall be suffered to fly the battlefield.
0: Thank you once again for listening to another episode of the Maltopia Podcast. To help us grow and spread the word, we'd love nothing more than for you to like, comment, rate, and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. You can also connect with us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and tweet us on Twitter for the latest original artwork and important updates. And for even more about our ever-growing literary world, head to Maltopia.com to read our dark fiction, and gain access to giveaways and discounts with our newsletter.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. <laughs>